think they realize that you can't simply just say Black Lives Matter and not truly prove that to the community at large. We stand better and more resilient the more united we are and the more diverse we are. There are so many people working together towards the same goal, which is fairness, which is equality, which is inclusion. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. This is Invisible Forces, an original podcast from Jeffries. On this show... We're investigating the unseen forces that drive our spending, our saving, and our global economy. We're asking in the next five years, how will we be living? Where will we be living? What will we be buying and why? Today, we're talking about what will possibly be the most important force in the next five years and beyond when it comes to how we work, live, and treat one another. Today's invisible force is more visible than the other things we've talked about this season. Today's force is inclusion. I feel like I've gone from, you know, someone who was trying to just build a network and trying to recruit to someone who's really been part of this awesome, awesome, open and candid dialogue around race and not only what it means to me personally, but what it means to me as a professional and hopefully sharing that message with colleagues and building empathy around what people who look like me go through. Hopefully, that will bring lasting change to our company and to our communities. That's Nadia Bachelor. We heard from her earlier this season and wanted to bring her back for more. In addition to being a managing director and head of the global corporate access team here at Jefferies, she's also one of the co-founders and heads of J Noble. That's Jefferies' network of Black and Latinx employees. It's a network that is dedicated to recruiting, retaining, and developing employees of color at Jeffries. And it got started about a year and a half ago just by a few of us who really wanted to build that network. And obviously, in the last few months, with all of the social unrest around George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and so many others, that role has kind of grown we kind of went from this organization that was building a network and recruiting to almost being spokespeople within the organization and being a collective voice for underrepresented minorities, not only at work, but just generally. The response to the deaths of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and others has raised awareness of systemic racism around the world with a sense of urgency we really haven't seen before. Even during the COVID lockdown, there have been huge anti-racism protests and rallies in cities all over the world. I think from a diversity perspective, I'll say that these protests have been different than anything I've ever seen, you know, in my 40 years or even in, you know, going back through the history books. The group that we see in the protest and that we see, you know, dialing into these employee forums at Jeffries, right, if we think about it on a much smaller scale, the group that cares now is, is much more diverse. It's diverse from a racial perspective. 
It's diverse in terms of ethnicities. It's diverse in terms of age. It's diverse in terms of geographic locations. We're seeing protests literally all over the world. And so I think with that many voices in the collection, right? I think with that big of a collective, there has to be lasting change. So to me, this this time feels different because there are so many people working together towards the same goal, which is fairness, which is equality, which is inclusion. As an invisible force, inclusion is having an impact on the world at large, including the world of commerce. The pandemic and the anti-racist movements have spurred newfound pressure from consumers who are engaged in this moment. Consumers want to spend their dollars in ways that push inclusion forward. And many are doing that by seeking Black-owned businesses to support. Online searches for this have become so common that Yelp added an option for businesses to self-identify as Black-owned to make them easier to find. And many organizations across the U.S. have started lists or directories so consumers can find these companies to shop at or even invest in. One issue that has permeated throughout in terms of the successes we've had and also the issues that we continue to have is economic power. And there is such power that comes with being able to build your own business and to create your own wealth. And a lot of Black entrepreneurs realize that that power does come with starting and dreaming big. That's Christina Leibert. She owns a startup called Viajor, and she wanted to help other Black entrepreneurs grow their economic power. And she kept hearing from her community that people wanted to help, but didn't know how. So she started the Black Startup Collective, a directory of Black-owned businesses in Boston. So in order to call further attention to what needed to be done, that's how the Black Startup Collective began. And it was really a response to those conversations I had to say, okay, if you really want to do something, there's no pipeline issue any longer. Here are all the Black startups that I can find immediately for you. Have at it. Go do the work you say you're going to do. Christina has seen so many Black-owned startups in her community suffer for lack of resources. This was her way of harnessing the current moment and creating real change for her community. Success to me would be to have these amazing, innovative startups get the support that they need in any way, shape, or form, how that came to them. Each startup is different. Each startup needed certain things. But one thing we did notice in part of the intake came down to funding. Funding was the number one issue that many startups were experiencing. Initiatives like Christina's are so necessary especially through the pandemic and economic downturn. In fact, National Geographic recently reported that more than 50% of Black-owned businesses might not survive COVID-19. But Christina feels hopeful that this consumer trend towards supporting Black initiatives will continue this year and beyond. My gut feeling is telling me that it's not going to go away, Um, not completely anyway. And so I think we have to continue to to bring out and to have these conversations and just to, again, to remind people that there is more work to do and these little steps are steps in the right direction. And as businesses are taking these steps in the right direction, 
they also need to look internally at their own teams. When the country went into pandemic lockdown earlier this year, the unemployment rate surged for the entire population. But it was worse for people of color, who had a higher rate of unemployment even before the COVID virus. And now that the employment rate is beginning to recover, unemployment remains significantly higher for people of color. This is a huge problem from an economic equality perspective. And in practical terms, it translates to a lack of diversity in workplaces that is a huge problem for businesses. You need to reflect your client and your customers. You need to reflect um, who they are and what their needs are and address those. So if you only have a homogeneous group of people in the room who all think the same, then you're leaving out a lot of opportunity for business, a lot of opportunity to make money, and a lot of opportunity to have good visibility and branding. That's Stephanie Wamusa, the Vice President of Diversity and Inclusion for the startup Talvista. They offer what they call a conscious inclusion platform, which offers employers tools to attract and hire diverse talent. Stephanie says that our invisible force of inclusion will make for stronger businesses, but only if employers take this opportunity to look for ways to address their own unconscious biases. For example, they might not realize that the language they're using in a job description can be keeping away good candidates. Our scientific data has shown that there are certain words that just repel people from applying. And we realize that lots of people, um, especially women, don't necessarily apply to roles where they don't feel that they're 100% applicable or relevant, where we have men who are more willing to apply for roles. So in terms of trying to create a more diverse applicant pool, you know, we have to do everything we can to make our job descriptions more inviting and more attractive for people to feel comfortable to apply. Stephanie says Talvista also provides a redacted resume. So hiring managers only see the parts of an applicant's resume that speak to their experience or education, but not anything else. The redacted resume is especially important because there are so many places where a hiring manager's bias, unconscious or otherwise, can get in the way of a qualified candidate. When I spoke to our colleague, Nadia Batchelor, she told me even something as basic as somebody's first name can be a challenge. Let's bring her in here again. So I hated the name Nadia growing up. I actually, so my parents are from a small country in South America called Guyana. And I don't know to this day where they got the name Nadia. (laughs) Um, But I do know that I did not like it growing up because it was different. I wish my name was Lisa. That was the name that I would have chosen for myself was Lisa. Fast forward to when, you know, it's time for me to get a job and I have that name on my resume. I feel like it, you know, people read it and they know the odds are that I'm not a white woman. And Nadia says this experience affected her approach to naming her own children. And so I knew when I had children that I would name them common names that were easy, well, definitely easy to pronounce, I think was one of one of the things that I worried about, but also names that kind of blended in and that wouldn't make them stand out. It's absolutely crucial that we examine and move past these long-held biases. 
because it's not just potential employees who are missing out on opportunities because they aren't named Lisa or John. What are we all missing out on because of our own long-held biases? What scientific breakthroughs? What healthcare cures? What about beauty in art or music or literature? Or even productivity or innovation in the workplace? Simply because we've limited our spheres of who fits for so long. Tools like Telvista can help businesses overcome those biases. The company is fairly new, but they've noticed an increased demand in the past few months already. So we are literally bombarded as we speak with interest from companies. And I'm just seeing a lot of people come out and say, you know, I'm an ally or I'm part of this movement and I want to see something different. So companies are being scrutinized to see what they're going to do in terms of this effort and how are they going to be progressive in this effort. Um, So people are holding their employers accountable, I find. But on the flip side of that, I think employers are also rising to the occasion and taking advantage of this opportunity to move the needle. So we've seen our invisible force of inclusion playing out in the markets as consumers look to support Black-owned businesses and businesses work to hire more equitably but the products that fuel our markets also have to be inclusive. That means thinking about systemic racism from the very beginning of a design process. I'm Boywen Gao, and I am the founder and principal of Project Inkblot, a design for diversity consultancy. We work with companies to use this design framework in a training, coaching, and consulting capacity to illuminate cultural defaults. Designing for diversity is something that affects just about every industry. Boywin and her co-founder, Jahan, work with all kinds of companies, but mostly those in media and tech. And right now, they're getting a lot of business inquiries. So right now, there's a high demand for companies who have no idea how to approach racial equity. They don't know even what racial equity means or how it applies to their companies outside of it's the right thing to do. There's a lot of public demand for this, so we need to do it. But really, our orientation is you're not going to be effective if there are cultural defaults as insidious as racism in how products, services, content, and experiences are designed. Inclusive design is good design. And there are so many examples of products designed without this mindset which leads to some very avoidable problems. One was from the early 60s and 70s, when color film was getting popular. If you were taking images of white folks, it looked great. The color was vibrant. um, It was very effective. And then when you use the same film on dark skin, you couldn't see anybody. (laughs) So that's a problem. And especially when people were in mixed company, you would really see the problem in terms of the contrast. So white people would be lit up and the the film defaulted to highlighting white features. And then in contrast, in again, that mixed company, you would see darker people just fade into the background. You couldn't see any of their features. Change only came about when chocolatiers and furniture makers complained that promotional photos taken with color film didn't showcase the differences between the darker colors and their products. But in today's market, individual consumers have the power to affect major change. So we can see that technology now in terms of AI, you know, machine learning, all these different things are just a continuation of those same insidious and dangerous defaults being embedded over and over again. 
Like she says, if you take that example from photography and apply it to the technology we use every day, it can have massive implications. Unfortunately, a lot of tech tools are still not designed for everyone's use, and it can perpetuate biases. Evie Chung is a designer whose research looks at the design of AI-powered smart voice assistants. A lot of people were really delighted with the general sort of convenience that these smart speakers offered them. But this really ubiquitous tool, product, and service had permeated pretty much our private lives and our households. Ubiquitous is right. One in four Americans now own a smart speaker. As a part of her research, Evie hosted a workshop where she asked other design professionals to picture the human being behind a smart voice assistant. And they all agreed. The smart assistant tools sound like a servile white woman. Not only does this create gender bias, but it teaches children with other dialects or accents that there's only one normal way of speaking. This is reinforced by the fact that many of these smart assistants don't understand different voices or accents as well. I'm having trouble understanding. Please repeat your information slowly for maximum optimization. I've watched my Asian family members, you know, like try to use voice assistants, like whether it's Siri on their phone or Alexa. And it's just the amount of times that you actually have to repeat what you say and actually, you know, like move away from, say, an Asian accent to a more American one. Sorry, I didn't catch that. And this is essentially shown in the research. Research shows that a white American male voice has a 92% accuracy rate when it comes to being understood by a voice-enabled assistant versus a white American female has a 79% accuracy rate versus a mixed-race American woman only has a 69% chance of being understood by one of these assistants. Could you repeat that one more time? And if you're basically like analyzing it on a grade scale, it moves from like an A to a D plus really quickly. Without making the design process inclusive, the product just simply isn't as effective for the general population. And Evie says one of the issues is a double whammy of a lack of diversity. On the design teams themselves and on the people the products are tested on. Both groups are predominantly male and mostly white. So while no one deliberately designs a product to make it less accessible, Evie wants the whole design process turned on its head. Designers need to think specifically about who they're designing products for, and make sure to avoid a default customer who is white, male, and typically able-bodied. You know, one thing that we hear a lot in tech is this concept of edge cases, which is like, okay, what are these extremes that can change um, the interaction with this product or service? Like, in a sense, it's like, who are these fringe communities or what are the fringe things that may go wrong? And actually, we center those people especially in terms of racial equity, the only metric that matters to us is that people who are most negatively impacted by racism, structural racism, product racism, all of that are left better off. And so by centering those folks and creating solutions from that, we're utilizing this concept called targeted universalism, which is if you go to who is most impacted, it actually ends up benefiting everybody. There is a huge push right now to make our world more inclusive, from who we hire to how we design our products themselves. As we can see, the implications of these designs are massive, especially when it comes to our technology. Companies today are feeling the pressure to rise to this cultural moment, but Boy One says this is not a simple fix. 
It's a long road and we're just at the beginning. And, you know, we, we also respect the fact that people want answers now because we're humans and this is deeply uncomfortable stuff. And I don't think that, you know, anyone is bad or wrong for wanting the answers. But yet this is a multi-layered process that necessitates a deep, deep commitment. And it's not just because it's the right thing to do, but because, you know, we're here to really redesign a future that is accessible and inclusive of everyone. The events of 2020 have given us an enormous opportunity to shake up the status quo. Over and over, we have heard people say that after the pandemic, we shouldn't just be talking about how to get back to normal, but how to use this as an opportunity to get to a new, better normal. There's obviously still an enormous amount of work to be done when it comes to creating a more equal and inclusive world. But as we heard in our episode about conscious consumption earlier this season, consumers are demanding accountability and change from the companies they support, and businesses are responding with efforts to evolve. There's growing awareness that this needs to be the way forward, and we've seen examples of great tools that can help us diversify who we buy from, what we buy, and even who we hire. Even our product designs are becoming more inclusive. To wrap up, let's bring back Nadia Batchelor to talk about what she thinks we'll be focused on in five years when it comes to inclusion. I hope that we are having the same conversations, but I hope that they are looking back at the progress that we've made over the last five years. Right now, we're thinking about how can we get more interns and analysts? How can we get more young and junior people into Jeffries, right? How can we get more women, more people of color, more LGBT, more vets, just more diversity at our company? And I hope that five years from now, we've already figured that out and we've already mastered it. And so now five years from now, we're talking about how can we get that Black intern that started with us five years ago? How can we get them promoted to vice president? How can we groom them to be a managing director and a future leader of our company? So that's how I would want to see the conversation evolve from almost recruiting and building a pipeline to now nurturing that pipeline and really building our next generation of leaders who are able to take times of uncertainty and make them be productive and make them be times for lasting change. These are questions that are being asked in countless industries across countless sectors these days, as our invisible force of inclusion continues to grow. And as more and more people start to ask and answer these questions, over the next five years, we hope we'll start to see the visible effects of this invisible force. I'm Shannon Murphy. And I'm Erin Shea. You've been listening to Invisible Forces. And this is a wrap for season two. Thank you so much for listening. And thanks to all of the experts and speakers who taught us so much this season. For more information about everything we talked about, visit jeffreys.com slash invisible forces. Talk to you again soon. Important information and additional disclaimers are available at jeffreys.com. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part.
The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Jeffries entity to the audience. It's not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any security or investment. This podcast is being provided strictly for informational purposes only. Any opinion or estimates constitute our best judgment as of the date of the podcast and are subject to change without notice. The information upon which this podcast is based was obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but has not been independently verified and should not be relied upon as an accurate representation of future events. No responsibility is accepted and no representation, undertaking, or warranty is made or given, in either case expressly or impliedly, by Jeffries as to the accuracy, reliability, or completeness of the information contained herein, or as to the reasonableness of any assumptions on which any of the same is based. Any views or opinions expressed herein are solely those of the individuals identified. Accordingly, neither Jeffries nor any of its officers, directors, employees, or representatives will be liable for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person resulting from the use of the information contained herein, or for any opinions expressed by any such person, or any errors, omissions, or misstatements made by any of them. Jeffries is not an advisor as to legal, tax, accounting, or regulatory matters in any jurisdiction and is not providing advice related to such matters. Listeners of this podcast should take their own independent advice with respect to matters discussed.